Welcome back to another edition of SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I am Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. We will get into a couple of the big games on the SEC docket this week. Florida at Tennessee, Arkansas against Texas A&M, and an important game for Auburn and Brian Harston with Missouri coming to town on Saturday, but that will be a little bit later in the episode during our picks portion. We're going to start off, John, with a, a look at who might be the third best team in this conference. You you wrote about this in a, in a newsletter piece recently, our, our SEC Unfiltered newsletter, and, and I think it's an interesting question. You, you threw out several candidates and sort of poked holes in in most of them, before by process of, el- of elimination, finally landing on a team. So take me through your thought process when we look at who is the number three team in the SEC behind, of course, Georgia and Alabama. Blake, this is a, a consistent theme. I mean, we're talking about this in preseason. Alabama and Georgia, everybody pretty much coronated them as one and two and headed for the college football playoff. And beyond that, it was just kind of a mad scramble. I mean, who do you want? There were so many teams you could put in there. Kentucky was second in the East in the in media days. Uh, some people liked South Carolina. What was wrong with them? I mean, come on. South Carolina, seriously. Actually, that was me. But I've jumped off that bandwagon very firmly. Um, so I was looking to start the season. I had Texas A&M as the third best team in the league. Really good defenses, recruited so well. I thought it would have pretty good depth to weather the the 12-game schedule. Uh, but kind of changed my mind after App State. And even watching it last week against Miami, Texas A&M has no offense. I mean, they've got some skilled players. Devon Ashan was, is a great speedy running back. And Anaya Smith is a talented receiver, but the offensive line is not good. So I moved off A&M, put Arkansas. I thought Arkansas uh, beat Cincinnati, uh, hammered South Carolina, scored a lot of points, put it in there. And then, of course, Missouri State and Bobby Petrino come in there and scare the Dickens out of them, almost beat them. They're out of there. It was between Ole Miss and Tennessee, both teams 3-0. and Tennessee's got a better win with Pittsburgh, but Ole Miss was so dominant against Georgia Tech. I think when you, what really shakes your opinion when something unexpected happens, you just say, gosh, I didn't think they were that good or that game, it can really turn your head. And I think that's what it did with Ole Miss. Maybe it's not as good as it looked against Georgia Tech. It's won three games by an average of 38 points, a light schedule. But uh, right now I've got Ole Miss in there. It's interesting because if you go just purely based on who teams have beat, you know, I think you got to land somewhere else. But if you look at how teams have played, I think you've you've got a case for Ole Miss there. I mean, you know, when we think about Lane Kiffin, we think quarterback play, we think tempo and offense and points. But you've written about this. It's almost the return now. Granted, competition comes into play here, but it's almost been the return of the the old Ole Miss Land Shark defense, they're allowing four points a game through three weeks. And yes, their offense has been 
pretty good. It's gotten better. Their run game in particular is is leading the way. Zach Evans, uh, the transfer from, from TCU, has been as good as advertised. And their Southern Cal quarterback, Jackson Dart, has gotten a little better as, as the season's gone along. But really, I mean, it's been the defense, I think, that's that's impressed more than, than anything. Now, I mean, Georgia Tech, I, I kind of put them in the category of a group of five opponent almost. They've, they've been so bad the last uh, few seasons under Jeff Collins. Uh, you, you really, again, they, there is not much separating them from, from many group of five teams, if anything. I think there are many group of five teams that would be a firmer test than what Georgia Tech was. But Georgia Tech in the season opener played Clemson tough for a half at least, and Ole Miss blew the doors off him from, from the start. So I don't necessarily have a problem with that pick, but I I think I got to wait and see Miss, Mississippi beat somebody a, a little bit stouter before I'm putting them number three. I think I would stick with with Arkansas, who's been in my number three position really since the preseason. Now, of course, they got quite a quite a scare from Missouri State on Saturday, which is a pretty good FCS program under Bobby Petrino. They've historically not been a good program, but they made the playoffs, the FCS playoffs the last two years. But still, nobody expected that game to be that close. And yet, we saw in the second half of the game, I think just how explosive that Arkansas offense can be. I mean, and we were talking about this off air, John. Has there ever been a more appropriate nickname than Rocket Sanders? The way he took that shovel pass like 80 yards, boom, for a touchdown. He he was he was gone in, in the blink of blink of an eye. And then the uh, the freshman wide receiver, Bryce Stevens, same thing on a on a punt return. I think this is a really explosive Arkansas offense. I like the way Drew Sanders is playing, the Alabama transfer linebacker. So it's not with much conviction. But I'll leave Arkansas in that three spot, I guess, with Tennessee nipping at their heels. I, I like Tennessee's road win against Pitt. And then I'd probably have uh, Ole Miss and Kentucky right right there in the, in the next spots. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I One thing about the, uh, the Arkansas-Missouri State game, and Bobby Petrino, he's kind of a forgotten man but he's a really good coach, always has been. He's really good at putting together a game plan and honing in on an opponent's weaknesses. I think this is a game, and and I didn't. I don't know exactly what he was doing, obviously. I wasn't privy to that and what worked so well. I just watched the last quarter when Arkansas made its comeback. But I'm wondering, and knowing his reputation for this, I'm thinking other teams will look really hard at this video and say, okay, what did Bobby Petrino do against Arkansas's defense that worked? And let's go back a week. Arkansas gave up, wasn't it, 30 points to South Carolina? They did. Which just got waylaid by by Georgia this weekend and looked helpless on on offense. A lot of teams will against the Bulldogs, granted. But uh, – so I, I, I'm just uh, – I'm not ready to do that. I think I'm swayed. The thing about Ole Miss is when teams open up a season like Ole Miss has with a schedule, just a uh, three patsies, whatever you want to call them, you, you, you expect them to win big, and Ole Miss does. But other teams don't always do that. 
what impressed me was how sharp Ole Miss was against Georgia Tech. And that sharpness never dulled. I mean, when you're leading, you know, you got to shut out. You're winning. It's a one-sided game. And it still prevented Georgia Tech from getting in the end zone. I know Georgia Tech's offense is the proverbial dumpster fire. Jeff Collins, I don't think, realized when he became a head coach that he couldn't just have a defense. He, he also was required to, to score points. And that's been his downfall there. I don't think he'll he'll last the season unless Georgia Tech doesn't just doesn't care. But I was impressed by Ole Miss, even when it put in backups with the intensity with which it played. I want to back up to something else you said there, John, with with Bobby Petrino. And um, you know, they they did look really good for much of that game. Their quarterback at Missouri State, Jason Shelley, was previously at, at Utah, started a few games there. Then went to Utah State, so he's he's been a former Division One guy. He started his career as Power Five guy and had a really really good game there at Missouri State. And Petrino's had a few few FBS transfers helping that program. But I know at one point in Bobby Petrino's career, not that long ago, you were pretty high on him getting back to a Power Five job. Now, I mean, we can make all the jokes about Petrino's extramarital affair and. You know, that, that infamous photo of Petrino in a neck brace that really signaled the, the end of his tenure at Arkansas. But jokes aside, this is a guy who in 14 seasons as an FBS coach has won eight games or more 12 times. So not just squeaking by with seven and six records, but 12 of his 14 seasons as an FBS coach at Arkansas, Louisville, and Western Kentucky, 12 of the 14, at least eight wins. He's been very good at Missouri State, a program without much football history. He's taken them to the FCS playoffs in back-to-back years. Is it crazy to think that Bobby Petrino's name should start at least appearing as a long-shot contender for some FBS jobs. I mean, we got Nebraska open. Not that far of a drive from Springfield Mode in Nebraska. Just hop in the car, head south a little bit, and you're down in uh, you're down near Branson Land. You're down. You're getting getting around there to, to Missouri State. Do you do you are you still intrigued by Bobby Petrino, or do you think this is this is what he is now, an FCS coach? Um. I think it would depend on the job. I wonder about Bobby Petrino as a recruiter and as someone who can uh, galvanize a fan base, a.k.a. a uh, uh, NIL fan base, uh, uh, get boosters and a uh, sports collective. I mean, that's a crucial part of, of big-time college football now. Can he do that? Maybe can. I thought since he had that mishap on the motorcycle, I thought maybe we got a little bit kinder, gentler Bobby Petrino, but that that may have just been that may be an, have been imaginary on my part. Uh, nothing really solid to support that theory. Um, but I th- I know the guy can coach, and and this is one of my many flaws. When I look at coaches, they're successful people. I just lo- eliminate the personal stuff. Okay. You know, I, I don't expect these people to be saints. I expect them to do a job. So, okay, things, you know, the the blonde, infamous blonde volleyball player 
in Arkansas. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah, that's, that's not recommended behavior. Uh, but it's not like he shot anybody. He wasn't in jail. Um, so, and maybe I go to an extreme with that, but if I find a guy that can coach, particularly on game day, I don't see that many guys that flourish on game day. So yeah, I would probably hire Bobby Petrino, depending on the school. I mean, what's Nebraska got to lose? Yeah. And I probably have a few more scruples than you maybe, John, when, when evaluating these coaches, but I look at like, what's the guy's actual crime, right? Like he was having a, an affair. I mean, I mean, come on, but for the, the, the conduct we, we normally expect from our, from our coaches. I mean, that's, that's nothing, you know, he wasn't endangering <laughs> students on his campus. And, and you say, you know, the Arkansas vo- volleyball player, well, at the time of that motorcycle wreck, she was a former volleyball player. Yeah, she player. was she, a former player. Yeah, wasn't had, like, he she was had graduated chasing, and, and wasn't had nice, chasing co-eds. Right. He had, had a job there on, on Bobby P's staff. So I just think like, you know, when we're ranking transgressions from like zero to to 100 here, like, I, I don't know, like what Bobby Petrino did to me doesn't land on the scale that that much. Now, at the time, should he have been fired? Sure, probably. But many, many, many years have passed since then. And. And and Bobby P has piled up many many we- winning seasons since then. Now it didn't end well at Louisville. Had a miserable season there in his final year, but had four winning seasons prior to that, and has been been good at, at Missouri State. So we'll see. That that feels like a, a long shot at this juncture of his career. Maybe he just needs to to run out the clock here by doing his thing at the FCS level. But I was I was intrigued by that by watching how competitive they were in that in that Arkansas game. And something else, John, we're we're debating the the number three team in the SEC here. But when we move up the ladder and we look at Georgia and Alabama, how big do you think the gap is be- between number one to number two in the SEC right now? Because I feel like there's a notable gap between those top two teams and the rest of the conference. That's not to say that, you know, in a one-off game, somebody can't challenge Alabama during the regular season. I think they can. We saw Texas do it. And I think someone from the SEC, at a minimum one team, will will do it this year. But I do think, all told, there's a gap between those top two teams and the rest. However, do you also see a sizable gap between Georgia and Alabama at this point, because just an, an another dominant performance from Georgia against South Carolina on, on Saturday, in which you know Shane Beamer kind of came unglued in the press conference afterwards. Second straight week, Beamer's been spouting off at reporters after losses. Best way to avoid that is win some football games. But that's an aside. What do you see as being the gap between Georgia and Alabama? I don't consider it that great, um, mainly because Alabama has uh, Bryce Young at quarterback. I think it will be, he makes them a hard out against uh, playoff caliber teams. However, when I was complimenting Ole Miss about the intensity, it's manifested game after game against weaker opponents, been sharp throughout. You could say the same thing about Georgia on an even higher level. Georgia goes out there. 
coaches talk, the most successful coaches at the big time programs try and always make it about their program. All these other programs, these teams that come in there, yeah, they're okay, but it's about us is what they say. We play to a standard, okay? We play to a standard. It, uh, no matter who come, who who we take on, we we've got to reach our standard. Never mind the scoreboard; that's no big deal. We'll win handily. You're certainly seeing with that with Georgia uh, when they put the reserves in. Uh, they're really fighting, and not second team reserve. I'm talking about third teamers because I was I was looking at the depth chart in that South Carolina game. They had third team players in there, and we're playing a lot of freshmen. But there's an intensity. Um, there's a, I think a feel about Georgia now that we once had about Alabama still do it away about Alabama, but Georgia's the new kid on the block in terms of a dominant superpower. And we look at Georgia through that lens. I, th- I think we look at Georgia. It's going out there. It's not just going out there to win a game. It's going out there to show off and showcase all the talent uh, it has offensively and defensively. So there's a gap between Georgia and Alabama right now. I agree with that. I, I just, it's too early to tell how substantial it is. Uh, how concerned are you, John, from what you've seen with South Carolina these first three weeks? Because as, as you uh, pointed out there, you were, you were on the, the South Carolina bandwagon in the preseason. And, and it's been an interesting roller coaster with with Shane Beamer there at South Carolina didn't start particularly good last year whatever first season he didn't step into a great situation it is what it is nobody's going to judge him too harshly over that and then South Carolina finished the year playing much better got a got a bowl win against North Carolina come into this season with with some momentum and it just hasn't looked good in the first 3 weeks of the season and, and I mentioned you know a couple weeks in a row now Beamer's kind of gotten snippy in his post-game press conferences, which doesn't mean anything when you're winning. Like co- fans love that when coaches fire back at reporters when you're when you're winning games. When you start losing games and you seem a little thin-skinned, I mean, it was a couple weeks ago he got asked, well, "What'd you think about Drew Sanders, the linebacker at Arkansas?" And he acted like that was a crazy question. Like, what are you asking me about a linebacker for? Well, I don't know because he's a pretty good player. He played pretty well in that game, you know. And then this week, when when you lose forty-eight to seven. You can't be stunned when you get a question like Beamer did of, was is there any give up in that locker room? You just say no. Guys are still fighting hard, and you move on to the next question. Oh no, he said, hell no. You know, get out of get out of here with that type of question. What kind of question is that? I don't know. A, a, a thin skinned personality seems to be coming forward. I'm sure he wasn't. I mean, was annoyed to have lost by 41 points, but maybe don't lose a 41 point by 41 points, and he won't get that question. So. What what's your panic meter over South Carolina at the moment? It's pretty high right now. I go back to Shane Beamer's hiring. I was kind of puzzled by the hire. I didn't think it was a great hire, but and by a program that's made some bad hires, more bad hires probably than good ones. However, um, I changed my mind over the course of last season. The way the team rallied, uh, and, and granted, uh, the the victory in the bowl game had a lot to do with that. It played really well against North Carolina. Maybe North Carolina had something to do that with that. Maybe didn't really want to be there anyway. So I've changed my, 
I changed my initial opinion of the Shane Beamer era at South Carolina. And then going into this season, combine that with the momentum and combine that with some prominent transfers, most notably um, uh, Spencer Rattler, and you have uh, more reason for optimism. But, yeah, I really I miss, I missed on this. And, and the commentators watching the game Saturday, and I think this is a line you're going to hear a lot the rest of the season. Spencer Rattler running for his life. I think he'll be running for his life almost in every game. The offensive line is really not good. And uh, I think that's a uh, that's something that has to be a big concern for South Carolina. And the defense is, I mean, George just went up and down the field, did the same thing against Oregon. But, yeah, there's really a lot of reasons for concern. Uh, Beamer seems to be recruiting well, though. So maybe let's – I mean, South Carolina has been very patient with coaches. And, and that's probably the best thing that Shane Beamer has going for him is is the job he's in, the patience they've shown. I mean, as patient as they were with, with Will Muschamp uh, – of of course, they're going to show some patience with, with Shane Beamer here. But it, it is interesting, John, one job versus another. Because through 16 games at South Carolina, Shane Beamer's 8-8. Eight eight. Through 16 games at Auburn, Brian Harson is 8-8. Eight and eight. Now, drastically different expectations in those jobs. Shane Beamer is recruiting better than Brian Harson is. Harson's not recruiting better than really hardly anyone relevant. Uh, Auburn, as we record this, is last in the SEC in the 2023 recruiting rankings. Yes, last means behind Vanderbilt. Uh, so there's really no momentum you can point to in the Auburn program where I think Beamer can sell uh, brighter days ahead, even, even though a bit of a, of a rocky start here. And in South Carolina's defense, they played two of the better teams in the conference in the first three weeks in Arkansas and Georgia. But changing the page to Auburn, John, as a game I was at on Saturday at Jordan-Hare Stadium, crowd was buzzing. Auburn forced turnover, turnover on downs early. You thought, maybe the recipe's here for an upset. No. No recipe for an upset because Auburn stinks. They do. The talent differential, I thought, in that game was was apparent. You know, Brian Harson talks about building his program on toughness, conviction, discipline. Well, it's hard to say that when your offensive line is as bad as Auburn's is. Hard to say, you know, you're built on discipline when you have a minus eight turnover differential, four turnovers on Saturday. Nicholas Singleton the Penn State freshman running back, as I wrote. He'd be in New York for the Heisman ceremony if only he could play Auburn every week. And that was the worst game of the Harson era by far. It was one of the worst performances we've seen from Auburn, period, in a long time. And now Brian Harson has lost six of his last seven games against FBS opponents. We know the knives were out in the offseason in that investigation that uh, didn't lead to any change, but now his AD's out, Missouri coming to town this weekend. If Auburn were to lose to Missouri on Saturday, is that the knockout punch? I think it could be just, uh, 
just the way things have piled up against Brian Harson. Auburn's internal investigation of the program was just really odd and uh, really sort of it put put his back squarely against the wall. I mean, how do you how do you recruit with that? And, and I know, okay, recruit. You know, this is a he's not playing all those recruits right now, but it, it reflects that Auburn didn't have a great depth of talent when he got there. But all these other factors that you pointed out, I mean, it's one thing to lose to Penn State at home, but go back to last year playing on the road against Penn State and very competitively and maybe maybe exhibiting some of those uh, attributes that Brian Harson wants his team to to do. Uh, but we didn't we didn't see that Saturday. I, I just think, and we talked about this going into the season. There's too much stacked against him. So he may be just one bad loss now away. This seems to be the trend is go ahead and get rid of the coach. Don't let the season play out and wait until December to make a change. The sooner, the better. That seems to be the philosophy of administrators. So I think if not Missouri, I think almost any game now that Auburn goes into a horrible performance. I mean, what if Georgia beats at 50 points? It, it, you're, I think he's just one one loss away. And as bad as I've seen, as Missouri's looked, that I, I agree with you. That could be the the death knell. Yeah, and, and you know, I mentioned I don't I don't think Auburn has a lot of talent right now, but I do think he did inherit a lot of talent when he got there. I mean, that that Auburn defense was was pretty talented last year. Now, some of those guys are in the NFL, but let's also not forget the number of players who have transferred out of that Auburn program since Brian Harson has been there. Like some of the lack of talent is because of him. You know, you got coaches like Brian Kelly upgrading talent in, in the transfer portal. It's been a losing battle for, for Auburn in, in the portal. And even before the investigation, Brian Hartson wasn't wasn't recruiting well. I mean, I agree with you. When you publicly have this investigation of your coach, I, I think your coach is already struggling. I think that uh, you know that that hampers any momentum he might have otherwise been able to build. But it wasn't like he was recruiting well anyway. It wasn't like he was doing anything through the transfer portal anyway. And you look at that offense; it's just it doesn't seem to have much rhyme or reason to it. You know, in that game against Penn State. Tank Bigsby, who's the best player on the offense, might be the best player on the team overall, had just 11 touches in the whole game. I found that strange, so I asked Brian Harson about that afterwards. And he said, well, the score got lopsided, so obviously got to throw the ball when you're behind. I said, okay, well, why did he not get a single handoff in the second quarter when the game was close? Brian Harson's quote, I don't know all the reasons. Well, you're, you're the coach. <laughs> If you want him to get the ball, you know, tell your offensive coordinator, get Tank Bigsby, our best player, the ball. <laughs> well, uh, it's not that hard. Yeah, it's not difficult. Uh, maybe he could have said, I'm saving him for the conference season. This is just a non-conference game. It doesn't, it doesn't impact our road to the SEC championship. So I'm saving Tank Bigsby. Got to, got him have he, have him healthy for the SEC grind. 
Yeah. Now, he didn't know all the reasons he said. Okay. There, there were uh, reasons, but he didn't didn't know them all. So well, that was that was one of them. We didn't we didn't hear that, but yeah. I, <laughs> that's a that's a bad answer. Anytime you anytime you say, Well, well, I just didn't know. Like, <laughs> I, oh, wait a minute. I thought you were the coach. I you know, not some innocent bystander. Yeah, and it it felt like, you know, with this schedule Auburn faced this year, it it really felt like it was a matter of of when, not if, with with Brian Harson. And and I I think at this point, you know, I don't know that he necessarily gets fired after his next loss. But even if he beats Missouri on Saturday, Auburn really hasn't even hit the teeth of its schedule yet. You know, you have LSU coming to start October, which, by the way, I thought looked pretty good against Mississippi State on Saturday. Uh, and then you and then you're really getting rolling in, in SEC play. Uh, it's I, I think it could get ugly in a hurry. I don't really see a great path to bowl eligibility for Auburn. And I don't see, you know, how this ends in, in any way other than uh, Auburn gets in coaching search mode here within a matter of of weeks at most months. Yeah, and it doesn't help, Blake, that you're in the SEC West. W- victories are so hard to come by in that division for teams. There's so many competent teams. that. So when you're playing a team that's not so competent, you just really ratchet up the intensity and that becomes almost, well, we got to beat this team because look what we've got coming. So I think teams really, really could gun for Auburn. John, I want to get to our our picks here in a moment, but first I I mentioned LSU and I I do want to unpack that just a little bit more because um, I saw much of the second half of that game was covering the Auburn game during the first half. But from what I saw, I saw a lot of improvement. I thought from Ole Miss, or excuse me, from from LSU, from week one to week three. And, and I don't want to make too much of of one game, but still, this was a previously undefeated undefeated Mississippi State team, a Mississippi State team. I think we both felt was was building some momentum in that program, and a and a, and a state team that I still think is is pretty good. But to me, Jaden Daniels is really hitting his stride as a quarterback. Um, he, he made some big, big third down completions to Malik neighbors on an important fourth, uh, fourth quarter scoring drive hit neighbors also on a fourth down completion there, uh, to get him inside the red zone, drive in and a touchdown. And, and I thought the defense, you know, did a nice job mixing up its looks, not allowing Will Rogers to just get too comfortable. I mean, you see some teams against that air raid, they just drop eight and they drop eight and they drop eight. And, and I think Mike Leach's teams are getting used to that by now. But LSU got pretty clever, I thought, mixing up its looks. What do you think out of what you're seeing uh, in the development in, in LSU? Well, it starts with Jaden Daniels, as you mentioned. Um, I don't look at him as a guy that's going to drop back, go through his progressions, and, and find the right receiver and do it very quickly, obviously. I think he's a guy you just kind of got to turn loose. And it looks as though Brian Kelly has done that. He seems better throwing when he's moving around, and he's a dangerous runner in the open field. He's really hard to get a grip on. So Brian Kelly's had quarterbacks like that before, so I think he's comfortable with an offense that brings out this guy's best talent. So 
I feel better about Jaden Daniels being the quarterback. To start the season, I really questioned how good LSU could be with Jaden Daniels at quarterback. I thought he was limited in some areas. I feel like he's the best thing the offense has going for it now. Um, still wonder about that offensive line in the running game. Um, I mean, Daniels doesn't need a whole lot of protection the way he moves around, but can it keep the can that running game develop? And maybe it can, but I was really impressed with the defensive front putting pressure. You you pointed that out. It was kind of a different path to 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 victory um for defenses against Mississippi State. They've just been dropping everybody. And and Mississippi State looked like it wasn't ready for that. I just think LSU does have a couple of really good pass rushers, and, and that was evident. And you mentioned the running game. I, I did think there there was some improvement there. Armani Goodwin uh, looked good on Saturday. The return of John Emery may help that running game. I think you're right about the offensive line that that will continue to be a lingering concern from from LSU. But I think in in year one of a of a coaching tenure, the biggest thing you want to see is improvement throughout the course of the season. Now, we'll see if this continues, but at this juncture, we can say LSU's better at the end of September than they were at the beginning of September, and and that is is undeniable progress, I think, uh, out of their, their first-year coach, and, and their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, is certainly no small part of that. Before we get to picks, just like to take a moment and say, as always, we thank you for listening uh, to SEC Football Unfiltered. Really appreciate you finding us here. And if you're new to the podcast, uh, would appreciate it if you click that subscribe or follow button so you do not miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, uh, go ahead and give us a rating or review. Would appreciate that as well. Those ratings and reviews help us get in front of more listeners. All right, John, let's get to the picks. You and I were each three and two last week. We were helped by our locks of the week. You had a savvy pick in taking Liberty and the points. They they did cover the spread against Wake Forest, even in defeat. And I, boy, I needed Tennessee to cover a ton of points in my lock against Akron, but I knew Akron was was that bad. I was confident in that pick. Tennessee covered a, a massive, almost seven touchdown spread. And so we each hit our locks. We each went three and two. I'm 10 and five on the season. You're just one game behind at nine and six. We each got money in the bank. Let's make some more. Here we go. Uh, we've talked about Brian Harson and Auburn, what this Missouri game might mean for him. So let's start there. Missouri, on the plane Saturday, Auburn is a seven and a half point favorite. I'm gonna let you bat lead off on this one. Boy, that is a really hard pick because I think Missouri's awful. I think it loses to Vanderbilt. But I don't know what Auburn's psyche looks like right now. It's just uh the way it kind of fell apart against Penn State and all the negativity surrounding the program. But I look at Missouri, and I think that's a really bad team. And and I think maybe Tanks, Bigsby, Auburn will figure out, hey, let's hand him the ball. So I'm going to take Auburn there. Yeah, I, This one scares me as well. I wish this line was six and a half and not seven and a half, and I'd, I'd pick it with a little more conviction. I'm with you. I think both these teams stink, and I, I don't know whether they're 
better or worse than Vanderbilt, but to me, they're right down there in, in that conversation. By the way, John, Eli Drinkwitz, if this season gets really bad for Missouri, I think Missouri could make a move after three seasons with Drinkwitz. He's, he's working for an AD who did not hire him, and I always point out that's never a situation you want to be in as a struggling coach. Now, Missouri, you know, they, they, they gave Barry Odom four seasons. He was 500 through four seasons. They made a change. Barry Odom was not recruiting well for that program. Drinkwitz is recruiting better than Odom did. But he's not the native son that Barry Odom was, the beloved alum. And you're just not seeing a lot of momentum at this point out of Missouri on the field, even though Drinkwitz has signed a couple good recruiting classes. If it gets really bad for Missouri this year, do you think they could make a change, or, or do you think at Missouri you got to give a guy four seasons? I just don't know if Missouri cares enough. I'm not. <laughs> I've never got that impression. Um, or I wouldn't have hired Barry Odom if it did as his head coach. Uh, so he is recruiting well. I think it will give uh, Drinkowitz um, another season. However. If you lose to Vanderbilt, going back for decades, when I look over this conference, losses to bad Vanderbilt teams, and there hadn't been a lot of good Vanderbilt teams, you go back and look at a coach got fired and and look at his last season, go down the games, and whoops, lost to Vanderbilt. Um, So, yeah, I kind of right now, I think it's a toss-up. If if this season goes really bad, I'm not talking about six and six, but five and seven even. But if you go down to four and eight and you lose to Vanderbilt and you finish last in the SECs, a different AD than the one who hired him, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. It, it has to get really bad, but really bad would be you know, going 0-8 in the conference, lost losses to Vanderbilt, South Carolina – Things like that. If if it gets that bad, I'd say all all bets are are off there. And you could see Missouri do something that I don't think Missouri would typically do, and that would be make a move before a coach gets to his fourth season. All right, I need to make a pick. Enough stalling. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I guess I'll take Auburn. I, I have no conviction in that because I, I've not liked what I've seen from Auburn through three weeks, but I haven't been particularly impressed with Missouri either. Maybe Auburn will come out fighting for its coach more than it did Saturday uh, against Penn State. I'll take Auburn to to cover. Do it at your own risk. Moving on, John. Florida at Tennessee. Tennessee is welcoming all the jinxes and bad spirits and demons into Neyland Stadium on Saturday. A, Florida has beat them 16 out of the last 17 times. B, Tennessee is going to checker Neyland. The orange and white checkerboards are going to be in the stands. Fans are going to wear their appropriate colored apparel to create the checkerboards. Well, Tennessee is one and four all time in checker Neyland games. And C, ESPN's college game day is in town. And Tennessee's three and six the last nine times game day has been in town. So a chance to, to exercise all those demons at once. Tennessee is a 10.5-point favorite. I will say they do so, John, and win by at least 
two touchdowns. I think this is the right team for it. Tennessee has the better quarterback. Anthony Richardson is is still a work in progress. I think Hendon Hooker is very solid for Tennessee. I think they have the right coach. They have better receivers. The fan base is going to be electric in Neyland. Guard the mustard bottles. Could get wild. I'll take Tennessee to cover the 10 and a half. Watch in Florida. Florida very easily could be 0-3. It really should be 0-3. Utah handed Florida that game. And South Florida, if it could just negotiate a snap from center to its quarterback, I think would have won that game. And after watching Anthony Richardson the first game at quarterback, I said, he scares me. He scares me if I'm a defensive coordinator because of his athleticism, his speed. He can make a big play at any turn. Uh, now he scares me if I'm his offensive coordinator. Four interceptions in three games, no TD passes, and that also reflects Florida's receiving cords not very good. It's really pedestrian. So, given ten and a half, I don't have a problem about with that. I, I think this could this could get really ugly. It's uh, you know saying Tennessee could win by two two touchdowns is is not far fetched at all. Even all right, more. So, so we're we're in unison here through two picks. Our final SEC game we will pick before we step out of the conference for one. Neutral site game, AT&T Stadium, Arkansas against Texas A&M. Texas A&M, two-and-a-half-point favorite. Before your pick, John, curious what you thought. A&M makes a quarterback change to your guy, Max Johnson. Do get the win against Miami. We were hard on Jimbo Fisher last week, so got to give credit for at least making a change at quarterback, getting a win over a ranked opponent, but boy, how many teams can Texas A&M beat scoring less than three touchdowns? Because I don't, I don't know that this offense is just like, it's a it's a breakout waiting to happen. Like I, I think this is kind of what Texas A&M is going to be offensively this year. You Did you have any restored confidence in the Aggies after seeing them beat Miami? Um. I think I give Jimbo credit for making a quarterback change last year, go back to Tennessee and Josh Heupel did the same thing. He, he benched Joe Milton, put in Hendon hooker as a result. He had a winning season. Um, A&M's defense is really good and it seems to play pretty hard, no matter what's going on with the offense, which has been not much. Um, I do max like Max Johnson better at quarterback because I've watched him play up behind weak offensive lines at LSU, uh, handles pressure well. Uh, so I, I feel a little better about A&M, but I don't feel like about A&M the way I did in preseason when I thought it would be the third best team in the conference. So your pick here, a- A&M is two and a half point favorite. Who, who do you like? When you can hand the hand the ball to a guy named Rocket, I remember Rocket Ishmael in Notre Dame. Uh, it's he's a hard guy to catch. <laughs> you're chasing a guy named Rocket, you're in trouble. So I'm going with Arkansas. I'm going to do the same. We're gonna we're gonna stay in lockstep here. I think Arkansas can score in the 20s in this game, despite the fact that Missouri State dropped 27 on Arkansas, South Carolina dropped 30. I don't, I don't know that A&M can score much more than about three touchdowns against Arkansas. And 
and I think Arkansas's offense is good enough to to break through a few times. So I, I will take Arkansas, particularly with them being the the underdog and getting a couple points there. Uh, our non-conference game this week, John, Southern Cal, six-and-a-half-point favorite at Oregon State. Oregon State's getting getting some buzz right now. They're 3-0. and They beat Boise State. They beat Fresno State. They're hosting Southern Cal. Two 3-0 teams here. Southern Cal, six-and-a-half-point favorite. You can go first again. I can remember during the Pete Carroll dynasty days at USC, the Trojans really had trouble with Oregon State. There was one game they almost lost it, and Reggie Bush pulled it out for them. I think it was a seven-point game. I think it helps Southern Cal that Oregon State's 3-0. and I think it gets Southern Cal thinking, hey, we're playing a pretty good team. Uh, whereas it, if it came in there one and two, uh, it might not take it seriously because through the years I've seen Southern Cal have some awful lapses and play well below its talent level. So it kind of scares me a little bit. But then I just I look at Caleb Williams at quarterback and those receivers and those running backs. I just don't I, I just don't see Oregon State coming within a touchdown of them. So I'll go with USC. Yeah, I wish I could go the other way, John, to make it interesting. But hey, we're here to pad our records, and you got to vote with where your head is. <laughs> and my head's with Southern Cal on, on this one. Although Oregon State's got its got a better team than than usual, I think Southern Cal is is really really a different program with with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams, and I think we expect it as much. It's it's paying off. I think they win. I think they do it by at least a at least a touchdown. So, all right, we're we're in the same same direction for four straight picks, but at least we'll go in in opposite ways on our locks. I'll get us started. I'm going to go back into the SEC for this one, and I will take Ole Miss, 19 and a half point favorite against Tulsa. You know, now maybe this is I'm falling into a trap here of of making a pick based on last week, but the way they just beat the doors off Georgia Tech, you know, Tulsa, th- this tells me that Ole Miss is not going to fool around with this mediocre competition. They're going to win. They're going to win convincingly. As I said earlier, I think Jackson Dart's improving at quarterback. Their their backfield is loaded. Their defense is playing well. I think Ole Miss wins with with ease here. Ole Miss is not going to be tested, you know, really until the second half of its schedule. So, yeah, I, I like that Land Shark defense you were complimenting earlier to deliver another solid performance and deliver me another win in my lock of the week. <laughs> well, and I also, uh, I, that makes me feel better. Uh, I feel as though I've influenced you. So I, I'm feeling really confident now. And I had a lock of the yeah, week. Yeah, you had Miss, Ole Miss as your third best team in the SEC. Yes. So if and, they're that good, and, they, they ought to beat Tulsa by at least 20 points. I tell you what, while I had my I had my lock of the week, and we're talking about the Southern Cal Oregon State game. And I just thought, man, that's that should be my lock of the week. I mean, is that, how is that allowed in the contest rules? You pick a game and then you make it your lock as well. I guess there I, is no. I've provided you with no rules. No, you haven't. So you can ch- you can make the rule after this pick. But I just look at that Southern Cal offense, and I don't think Oregon State can keep pace with them. It's Oregon State. 
So I'm taking Southern Cal as my lock of the week. Wow. You you were all in on the Lincoln Riley era. It's that's that's yeah. gonna be a big one. You might just that that one that game's gonna be on your big screen. All the SEC, you know, we got an SEC podcast. All the SEC games, you're gonna have all your little phones lined up, streaming those games on your phone Saturday, and boom, Southern Cal, Oregon State. That's that's getting the big screen in the in the Adams household. I got a feeling. Yeah, the hierarchies, big screen laptop if i'm not writing on it number two phone but is number one for viewing and then finally my my other phone so i'm four deep all right john good luck to to you and the fighting uh lincoln riley's on 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 saturday uh enjoy the action if you're auburn's coach hand the ball to tank bigsby thanks for listening and we'll be back with you next week